With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. and I think I've just about reached the middle of my life. Uh, in fact, although like uh, Captain Jack with his nine lives, I've got at least a wine called Nine Vines, but that's about as good as I get. That's about how much he drinks a day, too. Nine wines worth. Nine <laughs> vines, I tell you. <laughs> All right, let's see who else is joining us today. Joining us from the uh, warm north. It's not frozen anymore. It's summer. Yeah. It's Charlie P79. Yes, it's a miracle that it is. Uh, warmer than usual. And somewhere in the middle of the ocean, it's Mr. Dark Skeptical. Hello, I'm just counting the, the uh, hanging chads on the uh, victory of Stephen Moffat at the Hugo Awards here. <laughs> Somehow, I think he's gotten away with a little bit of murder here. Yes. But we'll talk about that in the news. Yes. <laughs> wow, nice segue. <laughs> also joining us, it's our third wheel. It's Mr. Vandal Thor. I mean, third hello, wheel in a good hello. way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I guess so. Hello, how is everyone? <laughs> good, good. Yes, we're a tricycle. All right. <laughs> Speaking of bicycles and tricycles, it's Mr. Tim Jury. Uh, yes, I'm coming to you live from a country who only days ago had given up on summer and now I'm sitting with an open window, which is just as well because next weekend I'm in Cardiff, so I'm hoping for good weather because there's lots of long walks there. Oh, good. There you go. Just make sure there's no bicycles driving by. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's enough of the people on audio. Let's see who's under the cone. Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. What? All right, under the cone at the moment at least is Davy Boy. Logan is here. Hello, Logan. 
And Merlin is back under the cone. Good to see you, sir. All right. There's only one more person to introduce. And that means it's news time. It's the Typing Monkey. Oh, he's slow today. He was sleeping. I had to poke him with a stick. <laughs> All right. And with some news, as uh, we heard earlier, was Mr. Charlie P. 79. Right. So uh, last night in, at Reno uh, was the, uh, the 2011 Hugo Awards. And uh, the winners, you know, Chris, yeah, the winners here. So um, it would be a miracle if I could pronounce all of these right. Um, so so um, I'll just start with uh, the, the – so let's start worst at first, it seems like, which is um, – was the chainsaw going on right then? Uh, um, best uh, dramatic presentation short form, which is um, Pandora opens Big Bang. Um, let's always, yeah, they said worse the first, and then we have uh, best dramatic presentation long form, longer than a two hour, two plus hour movie, uh, Inception. Um, best novel was uh, Blackout. All Clear by Connie Willis. Best Novella is The Life Cycle of Software Objects. Best Novelette, The Emperor of Mars. Best Short Story for Want of a Nail. Uh, here we go. Best, well, we'll, we'll say that uh, the best to last. Uh, best Editor Short Form goes to Sheila Williams. Best Editor Long Form goes to Lou Anders. Best, fellow, best Professional Artist, Sean Tan. Best Ooh, how you say that? Semi pro prozine, uh, Clark's World. Best fanzine is the Drink Tank. Best fan writer, oh, Claire Riley. Best fan artist, Brad W. Foster. Uh, the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer goes to Lev Grossman. And uh, best to last, it was the um, Six Bing Time Lords Best Related Work. Celebrated hey. Doctor Who by the women who love it. Um, yeah, edited by Lynn M. Thomas and Taro O'Shea from uh, Mad Norwegian Press. So, was, and I, you know, I, I, I know, I, I've known Lynn since. So I hate not personally, but I've I've met her uh, back in 2008 when I started going to um, Convergence, which is a convention held in uh, um, over here in Minnesota, you know, on Fourth of July weekend, and so it was nice. Nice to see her, uh, you know, as an editor and librarian to get a, get the Hugo Award and and uh, just you know, I, just, I met Tara last last July and uh, just the men Norwegian, Norwegian people are just you know good people all around so uh, props to them. Ooh, excellent! Thank you. Famous by association. Well done. Yeah. And do we want to take five minutes to to, to discuss uh, this, since it's, uh, it's the the discussion's taking place in the uh, in the text chat? So we might as well bring it here, Darth. You've done some analysis on this. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't finished my analysis, but uh, the <laughs> rules clearly state uh, on the Hugo website itself that short form. Uh, what the hell? Let me get the category name right here. What the hell is it going? Best dramatic presentation, short form. Here are the rules exactly. This award can be given to a dramatized production in any medium, including film, television, radio, live theater, computer games, or music. The work must be less than 90 minutes long 
excluding the commercials. So what has won here is the combination of the Pandorica Opens and the Big Bang. Now, if you look at the runtime, both of these are slightly longer than usual um, episodes. If you take the whole kit and caboodle, that is to say, uh, from the uh, end of the channel ident to, let's be generous and say, uh, the end of the end credits. That is to say, we're not including the next time trailer. Then the runtime is, um, ooh, hello, I wrote it down. It is 53.35 for the um, Pandora Open, I mean, for the Big Bang, and 48.40 for the um, preceding episode. And so that leaves you with 102 minutes and 15 seconds. So that's everything, including the credits, and um, the recap that begins the Big Bang. Now, if you knock off uh, the the recap, then that takes away a minute 30. So that leaves us at 100 minutes and 15 seconds. I'm sorry, 100 minutes and 45 seconds. Then you take away 30 seconds for, um, I guess, the, the second title sequence because you're thinking about putting these together. Um, so that leaves us at 115. And then, you know, I, this is where I stopped my calculation. I think that a, an average title sequence is maybe, I don't know, 45 seconds. So that leaves us at about 99 minutes and 30 seconds if you take away the second credit sequence and imagine that there was only one credit yeah. sequence involved. Um, so it's still well over the stated rules. So I think the thing should have its word taken away uh, on the basis of just simple not disqualification, and it should be given to Vincent and the Doctor, which is the clear winner anyway. Um, Hooray! I, I, just, I just think it's a tragedy. And I'd also like to point out that if you haven't seen, and I, I'm going to say the full title because it is the title of a published work, um, I suppose I should say if you have young children listening to this, you might want to cover their ears, but this is the actual title of the work. Um, one of the other uh, entries here was Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury. And that's just a fabulous work. And it's almost impossible to compare it to uh, these three Doctor Who episodes that were nominated. But that's available online. Just search for it. You'll find it on YouTube. Um, it is behind some um, protective software to prevent kids from going into it because it does have adult content. But it's fabulous and it deserves to have our uh, support, um, especially in the light of what I think is basically a, a screwed up nomination process. This is this is unacceptable, I think. Um, I mean, it's not like Stephen Moffat needs another Hugo and he certainly doesn't need to get one by violating the rules, which I think this does. Mm. Yep, uh, and of course we, we, we indeed on the Cult of the Collective interviewed Rachel Bloom after Ian's very, very professional approach. Um, and we did a show between episode 60, and, I'm carrying on, 60 <laughs> and 61. Um, we recorded it on the 24th of August uh, 2010, so just a year ago. So if you go to our uh, com page, our iTunes, uh, it's about a year ago, and um, we interviewed uh, Rachel Bloom, and that is really a very, very nice and open interview by the, I'll call her a lass, really, a young lady, and uh, Ian was most taken with her. 
Oh, yes. And we should explain, of course, that Rachel Bloom is the writer of... Oh, sorry. Uh, fuck me, Ray Barry. Writer, producer, actor, yeah. singer. Not, not director, though. Did she not? Oh, no, it wasn't directed. Thank you. But uh, very, very, very good. And she's she's just lovely and uh, gave us all the time that we that we needed to, to get the interview done. And, uh, yeah, so it's well worth a listen and it's well worth checking out the video because uh, I must have watched it so many times because it's just... It's one of those things that uh, it's a guilty pleasure, really. I suppose as a geek to to have here's this beautiful woman uh, singing about Ray Bradbury, uh, and it's a kind of a geek moment. Uh, There's there's another video out there, kind of in a similar vein, like uh, it's all about geek girls. It's it's the same kind of thing. It's like, wow, you know, here we've got these beautiful women doing you know topics that interest us. (laughs) But anyway, I digress. But yes, no, we, uh, found, we found out, actually, sorry, we found out during the interview that she is a sci-fi and fantasy fan. Yes, it yes. wasn't something she plucked out of the air. Yes, and she did, uh, as Merlin puts in the text, actually, uh, uh, Ray was uh, uh, well chuffed, and she actually got to meet him, too. There were uh, some pictures, not all pictures, so I don't know, you know, whether her wish came true or not. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that about wraps it up for news. There is some... Uh, uh, Doctor Who's scheduling news as far as time goes, so we will uh, announce that later when we're telling you what we're doing next week because it involves Doctor Who. <laughs> All right, Dave, are you ready to... Uh, well, actually, I'm forgetting something. There's one other person that we haven't heard from yet, and it is Andy. If you're interested in joining the Colton Collective and taking part in all this fun and hilarity, here's how you do it. If you enjoy listening, why not join the Collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a sick client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. I missed some news. Um, Liz Sladen's book. Uh, well, autobi- is it autobiography or biography? I sorry, I missed. It's a biography. It's a biography. biography. Um, it's been confirmed for release in November. Um, the seventh. November seventh. Okay, sorry. I, yeah, it must have been in the text chat earlier, and I did not see. It. I'm very, very sorry, Davy Boy, for uh, not bringing that up. Uh, I'm assuming it's available to all good booksellers, including Amazon.com, or is it just Co.uk? Oh, no, no. In fact, actually, I have to correct myself now. It is an autobiography. Uh, it was edited by Sam Harrison, but it, it's actually an autobiography. Oh, OK. <laughs> and David Boy says, yes, it's also available at some bad sellers, too. <laughs> All right, the room is uh, filling up, actually. Uh, joining us uh, as, of, as of late is mystery presenter Steve Law. Rick Wall is here. Uh, Graham, the second Doctor Sheridan, has uh, bowled on in. And so, uh, Dave, it's over to you to uh, set the scene. Okay, thanks, everybody. Well, we're talking about the mid-series review of uh, Series 4 of Torchwood. Um, That has a a 10-part story that has aired six parts here in the UK and seven in the United States. So we're going to try and just keep 
off if we could please uh, mention the final episode until uh, well into the show therefore that people uh, watching at the UK Bay pace can enjoy at least half or three quarters of this show and then listen to the rest at a later date and we will give a warning for that. I also want to just uh, remind people that um, we did in actual fact do a, a short review of episodes one and two. Uh, we did that on uh, the 17th of July 2011. That was our episode 108. So we, we will uh, obviously let people talk about those two episodes but we'll be pretty much skating over episodes one and two uh, reasonably quickly to get into the meat of the story now obviously uh, as I well know that uh, you can't stick to particular individual episodes but I will throughout the show be playing one clip from each of those seven episodes aired but of course if when you want to take up a theme you know you don't have to be rigidly stick to whichever episode we're talking about. If you want to have your go and go, you know, and talk about all your thoughts about Torchwood so far, just remember to keep that uh, seventh episode. Um, either give us some warning so uh, people can just mute for a while, or if in preference, really, leave it for a time. So without any further ado, let me play a clip from episode one. Ian and myself will just make a few comments on that, and I'll play the clip for episode two and ask in the room if anybody wants to come back with something from the first two episodes. Here we go. 6 a.m. is the appointed time of death as Oswald Bane faces his last moment on this earth. Did you ever hear of Torchwood? Pass that Torchwood thing on to somebody else that has absolutely nothing to do with me. Rex, my name is Dr. Horace, okay? We're taking you straight into surgery. Do you understand? 24 hours, no one's died. Survival of Oswald Dane turns out to be the first incident in a much bigger story. Miracle Dane. If my daddy's in hospital, we've got to go back. Friedkin's office took all the Torchwood files. I know. He sent me to double check. Come with me. Down! Oh, my God. You gonna die? No one dies these days. You want a bat? Anyway, Captain Jack Harkness, nice to meet you. CIA! Yes? Yeah? So what? I had a pole through my chest. I was dead, then I wasn't. I had to pay for this bridge, and now I want to know what the hell is going on, all right? Can't leave you alone for a minute. I get in. He's just a good thing to the case. I got a present for you in the back. Who the hell are you people? Go, Troy. I cut my arm. Okay. Can't help but thinking there's more important things to be worrying about here. No, I cut my arm. I'm staying hurt. Don't you see the whole world becomes immortal? And I'm mortal. I'm plain old human. Yeah, what? doesn't concern you. They come from my right. Andy, you can't do this. All this from above. I'm sorry. He's in charge. And on behalf of the CIA, under the 456 amendments to U.S. Code 3184, I'm extraditing this so-called Torchwood team to the United States of America. Now... Get me out of here. 
And, of course, the drinking game for today is Torchwood. Um, I'm just going to say a couple of things before uh, asking if he wants to comment on this. Um, basically, uh, and I'll play the clip for episode two very shortly, um, I think this would have been better open with a full-length feature movie. Uh, I've, I've stated my reasons before in the earlier podcast, so I, I'll just leave it at that. Ian, anything you want to comment about episode one before I quickly move on to two? That damn bridge! Uh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's so many things in the first episode that I just didn't like the whole uh, Torchwood being splashed across the screens and then disappearing and, and the way Rex is like Torchwood, Torchwood, it's got nothing to do with me I don't want to do anything with this Torchwood just get just hand Torchwood off to someone else it's like, really? didn't the Torchwood at the beginning of the show tell everybody what they were watching? um but yeah, it was it was a bit of a rough uh, first episode. It moved way too quickly, you know. He go from being disinterested to showing up in Wales and having to pay for that damn bridge uh, <laughs> to you know going and finding them, and then it, it just all happened way way too quick. I think you're right there, David. They could have done with a, a big nice double up double episode opening which encompassed all of that and, and moved it along at a different kind of pace um, yeah well yeah. what they did is there they were two equal length episodes but mm. like 65% of the content was in the first one um, so that was that uh, David Boy who's not on the audio but uh, really liked Rex in these first two episodes but he's not been nearly as dynamic since then well mm. that might be debatable uh, given that he's not been given the chance to shine as he was then uh, as the conflicted agent, mm. the whales bit was brilliant. Now, I, I do love it when uh, when when Gwen picks up the the rocket launcher and <laughs> who are you, Torchwood? And the little uh, uh, Gwen picking up the baby and, and firing out the window. At the at the uh, at, and the baby was fabulous as well. Oh, <laughs> you know, it was great. <laughs> yeah, the baby was just like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. Mummy's got a gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, uh, and, and of course, when Reese is you know against the wall with the guns and everything, and taking googly eyes at the baby, it was funny. Uh, but yeah, it was a, a bit of a rough episode, though. Um, yeah, nice reveal of having Jack on the plane, though, sitting next to him. He's the one who took the phone off of him. <laughs> but yeah, that. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay, I'll play the second clip, and then we'll ask you anybody in the room who wants to right. just just so we can get these two episodes out of the way, as it were. Here we go. You can't do this. I'm a British citizen on British soil. Yeah, well, you've been too busy watching Aliens. The fact is, the Americans have been getting away with this sort of stuff. Hey, 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 what is that supposed to be? Criticism? And you, World War Two? I'll take this. How's that catching your arm? Survive, I'm mortal, not dying. Well, it's like we all got switched, innit? Nothing to do with Jack if the wires got crossed. Everything mortal becomes immortal, so everything immortal becomes mortal. See? So is anyone doing investigations on morphic fields? On the what fields? The Sheldrake theory. That a bunch of monkeys on an island learn how to use a rock as a knife. And a bunch of monkeys on another island 10,000 miles away also learn how to use a rock as a knife because they're connected through a morphic field. And the amazing thing about the miracle is not that no one's dying, it's not that the human race has become immortal, it's that it happened to everyone at the same time. Hey, could we have something to drink? They can have water. It's okay, I can supervise it. Are you aware of how many people you've upset just by walking free? I'm sorry. 
I'm so sorry. Julie Kitzinger, Mr. Dandon, something the talent spotter. That was the most amazing performance. I'm Dr. Bear Horace. Panels are on the first three floors. Pick one and join in. Why does Howard at Mass General keep asking for more antibiotics? Who knows? Mass General has plenty of supplies. He's right. The human race has become germ incubators. And if we keep giving them antibiotics... The infections will become more and more resistant. You give him a drink. Then what was in it? Well, are you saying I poisoned him? No one's poisoned anyone. Hold on. You went to supervise him. That's what you said. Supervise. Who needs supervising pouring a drink? What did you supervise exactly? So now you're accusing anyone. It's either you or the big gay steward. So my money's on you. I'm not gay. Rex, please search up. Yes, I carry poison. I run a lot of agents. You never know when they might need it. How do we cure arsenic poisoning? I don't know. <laughs> Final ingredient. Touch of cyanide. That was your last chance. Yeah? What are you going to do about it? If you're the best England's got to offer, then God help you. I'm Welsh. We are being set up. They, they cleaned up your office and there are $50,000 in my bank account. Whoever's doing this, I bet they'll be waiting for you when you arrive. Get out. Come on and follow me. Where are we going? Just anywhere. And that is the longest clip. Sorry about that. They will be a bit shorter than that. Uh, we've got a, a couple of people who just dropped off with audio problems. Hope they'll be back to comment later. Um, I mean, I think that the main game I was having with this one, uh, I mean, love the thing on the plane, although it probably didn't make sense at all. We talked about that at great length on our episode 108, so please give that a listen. Uh, I remember that we were trying to decide, you know, you know, whether this Julie Kissinger would be an important person, whether Vera, the doctor, would become uh, more and more involved in Torchwood. And, of course, there was this um, enigma of uh, the Oswald Danes character. Um, but it was... Uh, the, the only comment, again, I'm going to keep, keep it brief from me on this, uh, it did have more of a feel to me as a, of a Torchwood episode. So ask anybody if you want to comment and ask anybody in the room they want to come on these. Right. Um... Yeah, I think the the comment I, I made uh, in their last show was uh, MacGyver, MacGyver meets Torchwood on a plane. Um, but some nice moments, uh, like Davy Boy uh, said Oswald filling his boots at the buffet. Um, and of course, uh, the, the Welsh comment, <laughs> I'm Welsh. <laughs> and then it just hits the, uh, hits the woman. Um, go on, the big gay steward. <laughs> I'm not gay. <laughs> But yeah, it's so, some funny bits, but all in all, it was a bit of a... Really? We spent a, an hour in the previous episode uh, explaining everything and getting Torchwood involved with uh, um, the others, and then we spend another hour on a plane, and it just really kind of... You could have really kind of done away with that. It didn't really further the storyline at all. Um, so yeah, that was my two pennies on that. Okay. Uh, anybody in the room want to come in and, uh, on, on these two episodes, just specifically, so we can move on? Graham or Tim? Graham's dropped off. He's back in on my room. No, I think we've been... Just on my... My mind's playing up, I think. I'm back here. Okay, Graham. Do you want to make any comment on <laughs> these first two hear episodes? Me? Yeah, yes, we can hear you. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Yes, um, I hear you. 
it's it's a good well, it's a good little setup. Um, it, yeah, <laughs> but it was a good little setup uh, to start off with, uh, just getting things sort of laid out for everybody and just a lay up to what was coming up. Well, after. So, um, I'm just trying to keep it short for these first two episodes. Yeah, you are breaking up a little bit there. Yeah. Quit downloading porn. I mean, uh, uh, I'm going to switch. switch. <laughs> okay. Tim, <laughs> did you want to send <laughs> in on this one? Tim, Tim would actually like to say well, his piece before um, he has to leave. Yeah, that's basically what I wanted to say. Okay. So well, that you all you can all you can all you can say on the first two is to agree with Dave uh, about them working better joined together, and and in retrospect, having seen several more episodes, there's been at least one more occasion where it would have worked perfectly well to join two of them together, and I think it was five and six that were entirely about these camps, and would have worked perfectly well joined together and being extended, but. It, I, I guess it would have seemed like a strange show to have it one hour one week and two hours the next week, and uh, the right. BBC may not have had a, a suitable slot for it. Mm. But um, no, it, it's it's been an odd thing. Um, uh, the main criticism people seem to have had generally of it is that it, it's snail place potting, and that is certainly true. I mean, the characters themselves have been mostly well realised. Uh, but um, I, I had a thought in the week that um, would it have been possible to tell this story over five episodes? I suppose we won't really know until we get to episode ten. But it, it's, it's certainly how it feels at times. Um, uh, I'm up off soon, so what I'll really say is my, my main feelings about this is that the, the better episodes, and I think it's sort of got going once they got this team together and moved them over to America and they sort of found out what their mission was, once they actually started going off and doing things and uh, dealing with this uh, the camp situation and Gwen flying back and Wales and that, that's when the show actually picked up some pace. It got a plot and um, it, it felt better for me, the episode where it was set within America not so much episode one, but the later episode to do with the camps, where it was set both in America and Wales. Uh, because for for those of us in on this side of the Atlantic, there was something a little bit more to relate to with the Welsh plotline, and it, it felt more closer to home then. Um, but um, no, it, it it does seem to speed up and slow down. It's 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 like a a car that needs taking for servicing or something because <laughs> you'll you get um, I think episode 5 was the first one they did about the camps and, and I was watching that and I think oh this is exciting it's international there's stuff on both sides of the Atlantic the plot's progressing apace and then it ends uh, at a particular point and then they continue it the next week and then it's as if someone's put something dodgy in the fuel tank of this car and it suddenly slowed down and it, it's still about the same subject but for some reason they're not able to keep the plot as pacey as they were the previous week so at times it's been very watchable and at other times 
I've, I've stuck with it, but I've stuck with it for the characters, I think, more so than for the plot. But hopefully, even if we're going to have slow episodes, we'll have episodes that that push things along a bit as it starts drawing to a close. But um, no, I'm going to draw off now, and uh, you can freely discuss the episode I've not yet seen. All right. Thank you very much, Tim. All right. Um, did, now, how would you like to proceed, sir? Yeah, I'm just wondering what, what that means. The text that I've, I've put torch with them, so that... What's, I don't know what Tim's talking about there. <laughs> okay, I was just welcoming guest 40. For those people listening to the recording later, I was just welcoming guest 40 into the room and said that there will be spoilers for uh, the first six episodes of uh, Torchwood uh, and seven towards the end. And just one quick thing, and this came up on the Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, is that um, they don't really make great use of the the actual episode title. So just to give a quick reminder, episodes one and two, which we've just done, are The New World, and then two is Rendition. And then we've got episode three, Dead of Night, four, Escape to L.A., five, the one that Tim was just talking about now, the, the, the big camp one. <laughs> the big camp one. That's big camp be. one. <laughs> Yeah. Boom, boom. Uh, that, boom, boom. Uh, that was the categories of life. Uh, episode okay. six, the most recent one in the UK, The Middlemen and Immortal Sins, has just aired last Friday in the States. So let's hear the clip from episode three, Dead of Night. Rex, put, put the gun down. You set me up, Regan. If you tried to stop people from seeing the warehouse, then maybe he was paid to protect it. Drugs. <laughs> it's legitimate drugs. Ficor. Oh my God. Bigger on the inside than the outside. These are all painkillers. They're ready for a war. No. They were ready for the miracle. Ficor knew it was coming. We discovered this Ficor shit, but everyone's been turned against us. We're still on the run. We can't trust anyone. But they can't have got to everyone we know, and they can't be tracking the cell phones because they're new. Dr. Warren. Let me need you to dress this again. You break in here, threaten to expose me for helping you, and now you want me to what? Spy for you? Yeah, will you? No! FICOR knew, Vera. Yeah. You left me your number because you knew I'd give it. I'm not the CIA, I don't go undercover, but maybe I can get you inside. So they just look like contact lenses, huh? Mm-hmm. Look at the laptop. There's a one piece of torture tech that I kept. It's like a camera, see? That's very, very cool. Where'd mm-hmm. you get it from? Distant moon of a distant star. Ha, ha, ha. Anyone that's going on this mission, it's got to be me. Where's Rex? No. I'm not Rex, I know. Hello, long story. Go back to the meeting and keep Julie Kitzinger there for as long as you can. Go. Clear? I'm not calling for free drugs. I'm calling for free access to drugs. We all walk across the fragile skin of this wide world together. The future is now endless, and it's terrifying. I'm offering you my hand to walk on this long journey together. Walk with me. That's all I ask. Walk with me. And all I ask is you talk with me. Yes, and since I know that Charlie P loves going after Darth, I think we ought to go with Darth next and then Charlie. And don't forget, you don't need to restrain, keep yourself to just episode three. Just bear in mind, if you can leave 
spoilers for episode seven till later on. So, Darth, do you want to talk about a particular episode? Or do you want to give just your general feelings on how the whole thing's progressing? I think I would be the voice of uh, opposition to the, the general notion that seems to be out there on the internet that uh, this thing is moving at a slow pace or even a disastrously slow pace. I don't see that at all. Um, I, I honestly, it, it, it baffles me. So I don't even really know how to to counteract that view because it just has never occurred to me that it's really moving at anything like an inappropriate pace. It's just showing us different uh, slices of the puzzle here. And there are a lot of questions that are legitimately up in the air and we need to have uh, those discussions going on. So it's not as direct or linear as, say, Series 3, where there's only one question. And, you know, we're just trying to figure out the answer to that question. Um, it is, you know, we're, we're looking at the impact of this phenomena of uh, the lack of dying on all of our characters. And, uh, you know, sometimes that involves uh, spending some time with Vera and uh, her hospital administrators so that we can better contextualize the, the medical ramifications. Sometimes that involves spending time with um, uh, with Rex and, and Rex's frailty at this juncture so that we can understand on a personal level what it's like to have uh, you know a Category 1 condition. Uh, sometimes that involves dealing with Esther, who isn't ill, who isn't really equipped to be on the run, um, but nevertheless has certain skills that will help them um, frame the problem in a you know statistical way or in a um, in a way that involves her using computers. So we get that element mm -hmm. going on, um, and then and then we have the question of why is Jack reversed? You know how is it? It must be as we heard in. I, I get with an episode, an early one, two or three. Two, two. You know, it must have something to do with Jack. It has to. It has to have something to Jack. And so, you know, you come along to episode seven, and that is the, the substantive point of episode seven is trying to find that link. And, and the question is asked many episodes before that, um, but it takes a while to get the answers. Um, and then, you know, you have an episode like episode six, which is showing us the inside of FICOR. And FICOR is an important dimension of this. And, and episode six tells us, no, it's not as simple as being some sort of corporate plot um, because there are definitely people who are high up in that organization who are working against it. Um, so it's nothing that um, the controlling officers of that company even necessarily know about. Um, so I, I have a real problem understanding why people are, are finding this thing ill-paced. I think it's a fascinating plot structure. I think it's a plot structure that ultimately will um, prove to be the right one, in, in, especially in terms of the fact that, you know, this series is going to make its money back not by its broadcasts on BBC One, not by its broadcasts on Stars, but really by DVD sales and home video sales. 
And I think in that format, I have every confidence from everything that I've seen up to this point in believing that people will look back on this series in a home video format and say, wow, that's that's an incredible series. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I am thoroughly enjoying it every week. I am eagerly watching it. Um, and I, I, to me, it is the realization of Torchwood that I had in my mind in 2006, you know, before we actually got to see Series 1. This was the kind of show that I thought it would be, not what we got with Series 1 and Series 2. Um, you know, I, I expected a, a series full of intrigue, full of, you know, sort of delicate subplots, um, and, you know, ones in which Jack's sexuality was going to be explored in a frank and open way, but not in, you know, sort of a pure way, like I think it was done in Series 1 and Series 2. And even the relationship with Yanto, I think, was, you know, amateurish compared to what we saw in Episode 7 of this. Um, and even amateurish as compared to what we saw in Episode 3, I think, 2 or 3, um, wherever he has the one-night stand. Th- that tells us something about his character in, in a way that, that really we didn't get out of Series 1 and 2. You know, Series 1 and 2, it just seemed like, oh, it's fun, you know, casual sex is great, this is just what we do from the 51st century, you know, and it, it, there was never a question of, you know, what are the what are the ramifications of that? We got a little bit of the ramifications in Series 3, you know, because you have Yanto sort of piping up and saying, well, what are we? Um, but I think Episode 7 here has been really sophisticated in its handling of the nature of you know, love, and I'm not in any way an expert or anything in it, but it, it certainly was a, a much more subtle and textured exploration of that than anything that we've gotten with the Captain Jack character so far. And I think it was quite, I mean, just marvelous, really. Um, yeah, so but, I, I don't know. I'm I, I'm loving it. Yeah, I, I think what some people may be misconstruing our, our, the mix maybe, not that it's not fast-paced but I think they feel as though the, the reveals are very measured you're lucky if you get one reveal an episode, which uh, again, I don't think, because Children of Earth was five episodes perhaps they're expecting the same as that, but over ten, ten episodes and you can't do it that way so, um, we, we, because one of the things that I've been thinking is you know, uh, you know is is uh, Julie Kissinger going to be the key character? Is Oswald Danes going to be the key character? Is Vera going to be the key character? And it's not too spoilerish to say because that's already aired in in the UK as well that um, she comes to that very rather silly. I mean, she's calling this man a silly man. Yet she's rather silly the way she confronts him with no backup whatsoever, and it goes to some very very dark places. So I'm absolutely interested in it, and, and there have been some uh, lots happening and going on. Uh, but I, I'll still uh, agree with Tim to some extent that the um, you, you know the tone of one episode, the tone of the next episode, does seem to vary somewhat. Uh, Ian, do you want to come in briefly before we go to Charlie, and then on that or not? Oh, he's, he's probably making it. Oh, go there. Oh yeah, I'm there. Um, yeah, I, I mean I'm I kind of sit on the 
the fence as, as far as what you were saying there, Darth, is that and probably tend to side more with him is that some tend to just kind of you know run through and then others seem to go a lot slower. Um I think episode two was a definite problem for me. Um because it just spent so much time in one place and didn't really do anything much to move it along. Um I'm feeling better about the show now that they were up to episode seven and and one of the things I, I do like about the length of time it's taken is we're really getting to explore what the ramifications of everybody being immortal. Because it does sound like a great idea. It's like, hey, yeah, nobody dies. But then you look at it, and, and, and that's the having these seven episodes to kind of explore the ins and outs of what that means has actually been rather good. Um, especially in regards to the camps and everything and, and, and rallying people up. It's uh, It's... Russell doing what Russell does well and, and kind of hammering home this point of like, you know, this sounds like a really good idea, but it's not when you really kind of get down to the nitty gritties of it and it's, you know, the 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 panels and and them coming to these decisions of, of categorizing people and 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 the, and the and the camps and you know, what governments will do, you know. Um so, yeah, that's that's my short form answer, so that we can get around the room yeah. and then come back. Okay, well, let me read a couple of things that David Boy's written in text. I'll play the clip for the fourth episode, and then we'll go to Charlie, just to give him some warning. And uh, the only thing, uh, uh, this is David Boy, the only thing I didn't like, that two episodes in three weeks ended with Gwen saying, they've got my dad, everybody but my dad. Uh, and wouldn't there be more emotion if they say it was Reese who was in a Category 1, as opposed to Gwen's father, who we are much less involved with? Um, it's an ensemble piece, really. Uh, I've heard a lot of people saying, where's Jack? But isn't the Jack Hartness show... But this isn't the Jack Hartness show anymore, though episode seven is Jack-centric. Um, it's got some fine character moments for each character, though, um, though I'd have killed Esther before Vera. Ooh, well, I don't know. Well, anyway, that's something I'm sure we'll talk about. Episode like four... Her. <laughs> oh, right. And so poor clip, and then off to Charlie. Alrighty. Ah, 2,700 miles. We reach the edge of America. This would be the solution. We bring them all here. All the emergency patients on mass. So we just put everyone inside and close the door? Do you know what they used to call that in the old days? A plague ship. I think someone's got to say it. Dead is dead. Looks like you've got a rival. You better think of a line, Oswald. You'll be yesterday's news. Slogan, dead is dead, is hardly appropriate on hospital grounds. But this project demonstrates the bold thinking that we need in America. Those cameras were here for me. I know. The moment I lose my platform, they get thrown back to the mob. Dead is not dead. No, not anymore. Life is life. This little girl will live forever. And ever. And ever. I'm on. I'm on. Clear the schedule. It's Oswald 24-7. Here on out. Yes. I've lost her. What the hell just happened? Gwen. Brick, it's 33 floors. 65 stairs and you've got to rush your chest. Oh, man. What do you want? Well, clearly, you're dead. He's the only man that can die. Then it's in your interest to keep him alive. That's exactly what I'm doing. Haven't you noticed the absence of killing? 
You're very special to them, Jack. What did you give them so long ago? Those names. He was just about to tell us. Anybody? Thanks. And you shot him in the throat. Thanks again for saving my ass yesterday. That maniac said it was someone you knew. Not that easy when you've lived through thousands of years. Don't keep talking that shit, huh? Calling them overflow camps. What is it what's happened? I got him onto that scheme. Top of the list. What scheme? Government stepped in to prop up the NHS. Overflow camps? Oh, that's it. Okay. Move. Don't let them go. Just get him back. When? It's too late. They've got my dad. Uh, just to so prove David Boy's point there, they've got my dad. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I just want to interject real quick before we move on. How fabulous was C. Thomas Howell? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Charlie. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that this is a pretty good series. Um, you know, we, we have with, um, you know, um, going off with Dead of Night and, um, Know, three. Well, uh, it seems like you know, you know, each little episode is it's sort of. I mean, it's they're sort of you know, I don't want to say self-contained, but you know, we get you get little, uh, you know, and, and I want to say adventures either. But you know, that you know, they have you know, looking into uh, the, um, the characters of uh, I don't know, in depth. But um, um, you know, yeah, but like like I'll just say I I, I watched I rewatched three and four. Yesterday and no four yeah no wait three and four yeah three and four or four and five whatever um <laughs> three and four uh, I watch it um and just you know you know the little things that that uh, stick out like the, in um, episode four the bit with um, the hotel room with uh, Kitchener and and Danes and you know that the little scene that um, you know that she you know she can't stand scan the guy but you know it's her job to, to um, you know, to work with him, and then uh, there, that scene at the end, you know, with him in the hospital, and um, War is saying, "Oh, this is this is terrible," and, and she says, "Yeah, I know," but it's, you know, in a very, you know, happy way, and um, yeah, see, you know, see, see, see Thomas Howell, and, and you know, he's a hitman, but he, but he, um, he, you know, he, you know, the wells run dry because he can't kill anybody, you know, he's out of business, and um, you know, the, the whole, the whole little. Uh, Scheme, you know, the whole plot they do. I like, I like the little, you know, um, you know how they how they can get little you know, plans together. You know, there was that bit at the, end, the beginning of um, uh, episode three with, uh, their, you know, they go to Freakin's house and then they uh, they, they escape and they they, they get to do the whole, uh, you know, blow the cops' uh, tires out and everything like that. And then, um, you know, in episode, you know, episode uh, four, how they get uh, all the um, stuff together. The uh, so they can break it into the to the building and everything, and um, yeah, and just and yeah, and then and then you know, yeah, it's a, it's a change of pace with five and six, but you know, it's still, I think you know, if, you know, for whatever, like they're like fifty three minute episodes, they still go by fast for me. It's like so, um, and they they seem to be covering uh, uh, every you know, they have the dead is dead. Uh, um, group and you know and and the other groups and there's these different fractions and uh, yeah it just seems to be um, I I'm I, I'm pretty much liking this this uh, series okay all right well we'll come back around the room again hoping that um, um, 
Uh, Michael, come back. Uh, Graham, let's just, you didn't really say a lot. Do you want to come in again at this point before I move to episode five clip? All right. First of all, let's see what the sounds like. Anybody hear yep. me? Good, good. Super, because this is over an iPhone I'm using Bria. So, oh. yeah. Yeah, what can I say about it? Um, I was really enjoying episode three and episode four. And I think I mentioned it to Lewis. Uh, I think episode five is when I started putting the flag up for me, saying I'm really going to be watching this week by week as to whether I actually watch this any further. Everybody else seems to love episode five. Um, For me, it's the sickest episode of any TV program I have ever seen. Just alone. I do not wish... I mean, okay, I don't know if we went out in the UK broadcast, I get the American broadcast. The, the fact is, I don't want to see somebody's face melted off on TV. If I want to do that, I'll go and get a horror film out of the uh, video tech or uh, the uh, video lard, um, place or download some horror off whatever channel. But the fact is, I don't want to see that. And then it, a character, typical Russell T. Davies, <clears throat> the fact that they got a character there that you really, really like in, in Vera. I mean, a really great character. And typical of the Tavis, oh, people will like that character. Oh, let's kill her off here. And it just, it's the, it's the point of where you get, he's going around in his own tropes. I mean, I don't know where, who's worse for using his own tropes, Russell T or uh, Stephen Moffat. Because uh, it's just really, at that, that point, it becomes annoying. Um, episode six is, is so much polyfiller. Uh, with things like um, become ridiculous. Um, why would you do such thing? You you go you get yourself into a camp as Gwen did, and then you keep on saying, "Oh, this guy's my dad, my dad, and dad," and that nobody's clicked your your torchwood. That nobody. Hello. Plot hole. Hello. Big. Oh. Hmm? Yes. No. I, I said the plot hole is. Can you hear me still? Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's the it's the plot hole is. Is, is bigger than, than the nearest black hole here. Um, you know, she's doing the most stupid of things. And uh, when I feel uncomfortable with things, it means I hit the fast-forward button and to the point where I, I get to the point where, oh, looks like it's moving on. And we seem to be getting a lot of this. Um, the best thing about the whole series seems to be um, the thing with Oswald Danes going on. Uh, the whole character that's coming out there is just is brilliant. It's so is it makes well how can I put it this way? Um, makes Hannibal Lecter um, look like an absolute beginner, uh, as far as I'm as as far as I'm concerned. You know, um, Bill Pullman's taken that sort of that idea and then stepped it up. He's Mister Nasty, but he's redeemable uh, at least to himself. It seems. Uh, Loving Lauren Ambrose, uh, we're not sure, is she the bad girl, you know? Well, she is a bad girl, but is she really the devil, as, you know, maybe like in the Satan pit? Um, we don't know, but I say, um, the one I, I am watching is the one that everybody keeps complaining about, uh, which is Esther. Uh, I think Esther's just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And um, hopefully this will get uh, to a a point where she's really uh, kicking backside because uh, one of the Get Clue stickers was a picture of 
um, the character of Esther with a pistol in hand, which I haven't seen yet on the TV show itself. Um, but the way that she, at least in episode six, uh, went on for the, the, the creepiest, uh, nastiest character you really want to see an end uh, coming to, um, though that seems to be a sort of recurring theme. Uh, the guy who run the, who um, ran the camp in the states. Uh, oh, creepy! Yeah, <laughs> creepy. I mean, the, the guy really had it come in, um, but it seems to be starting a trope of because um, I haven't seen episode seven yet. I don't know, but you get the creepy character of the week or two weeks uh, who gets killed off at the end. But, uh, but of course, Graham, you know you've got to be a bit suspicious of a, a guy who says anywho. You don't uh, really like that, do you? Uh, <laughs> well, anywho. Um, <laughs> Uh, the the woman who's gone on about dead is dead, and um, the character brilliance, uh, the brilliant realization, really well done, and uh, to the fact that um, you see her get her comeuppance, and as much as we're not supposed to like these this the uh, the triangle uh, group, whoever they may be, um, by the time they dispense with her, you're like ah. Oh, and they did something brilliant there because that woman was just that's it's it's a shame for the states at the moment that you they've got a lot of this sort of um tea party uh lot getting a lot of media press and that is something that's quite now and uh whoever uh, i can't remember who wrote that if it's uh jane epinson that wrote that one uh, but bringing this sort of thing that is a really not just worrying for the united states but worrying for the rest of the world because uh, you imagine somebody like that getting in power and having the power just to sort of, um, oh, Russia or China has really miffed me off at the moment, let's hit the new button. You know, that sort of uh, nasty character. So when she's crushed into the car, um, it's just brilliant. It's just fantastic. You get to see a couple of comeuppance. But I say, it's a, it's since episode five, I'll be looking at as to whether I will be watching this further. Uh, I'm doing it episode by episode. It's at episode six. It was all right. It was a lot of polyfiller. And there's the reoccurrence of who's nicked um, Gwen's father this week uh, thing. Uh, <laughs> it's this sort of, you know, the, the stupid, and, uh, you know, there's a lot going on. Oh, Gwen Cooper, can you come to the phone if she lands in LA? And then she goes and answers it. She answers yeah. uh, it. You know, wouldn't she have been on her um, nurse's pass? Wouldn't well, we assu- had a- I assume she'd arrived at the airport under a false thing, so she was thinking yeah. that only her friends would know to call her by that name. Uh, and she'd just obviously not been able to get hold of her husband on her own phone, so she probably thought it was Reese mm-hmm. uh, saying I, why. I, yeah, but I would have presumed that they would have called her by the nurse's name that's on the passport yeah. because they would be the only one who knows yeah. that she's going by that name yeah. uh, in real life. But it's, it's, well, I say in real life, in the programme. But there's a lots of silly mistakes going all over through the place. And that at this point uh, in her time with Torchwood, I would not have expected from Gwen. Um, people can say, oh, yeah, it's family and that and such forth. You're on the run, love. Mm. That's all I can say. You're on the run. What the hell are you doing? You know, such ridiculous things. We can expect it from somebody from uh, like Esther because she's new at this. Um, possibly also from um, 
uh, from Rex also because he's supposed to be the sort of the the one where that gets our backs up at points, and then with the, you know he's the sort of how can I how can I do it? This is a rough character. He's like he's the so he's the sort of firefly context. He's the um, Jane Cobb character. You don't really like him, but you do like him, sort of thing. So you know it's 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 coming on. I mean, I get to see episode seven because I've been out in it, out playing with a rock band the whole weekend. So uh, not playing rock band, playing with my rock band. When we come from there, um, so I haven't had a chance to see episode seven yet, but it's there waiting and ready. Okay, let me just pause you there. Uh, we've got a few more people in the room. Uh, Robert, just for your information, we're, we're leaving conversation about episode seven till towards the end. Um, I'm going to play the next clip, which is episode five, and we'll come to you, Robert, if you can just avoid slightly uh, episode seven. The old army barracks. That's where they've taken your father. And that's where you're going to get him out. I need to remove a case of No one is allowed in and no one is allowed out. We'll find another way, Gwen. Yes, and I'll tell you what it is. We're going to break in here, we're going to find my father, and we're going to get him out tonight. Vera, this is Jack Harkness. He likes to call himself Captain Jack, but I'm not buying that. And that's the you've already met. Yes, there are some heavy hitters lined up for today's miracle rally. Here is a first draft. What they want you to say? The key word is revelation. Why was this written out for me? I'd rather use my own words. My name is Colin Maloney, and I'm in charge here. Vera Juarez. Oh, welcome to Medical Lot 338, Vera. This is storage. Well, these are the ones without insurance. And America is in crisis. Times like this, somebody's got to take charge. And in this instance, it just happens to be me. Do you think you're doing a good job? I'm under budget. You're supposed to spend the money. Oh, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Report me? Oh, I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to have you prosecuted. I guarantee you're going to jail, you stupid little man. <laughs> oh, you are going away forever! <laughs> Jack Harkness. FICOR knew about the miracle. They've been ready for years. That's the proof, all written down, ready for everyone to hear it. And what would I get out of it? End the miracle. Then you can die. The truth is, I know what I am. I know what you are, too. We are What do you mean? They built ovens all over the world. That's what the modules are. They're ovens. They're burning them. The patients, they're burning them alive. And possibly the darkest episode of the lot. Uh, but let's welcome Robert into the room. Hi, Robert. Hi, Dave. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I wanted to stop in and I... Um been, as you know, I'm on the Hitchhiker's Guide to Bruce Up, I mentioned, but I've been going through the old Torchwoods. I just finished um, series season two up, and I'm going to start on three next, but I wanted to get an overview, an overlook of the past, you know, Torchwoods up to today, and and basically, I've been okay with, you know, this um, Miracle Day. I kind of miss how we had 
the season one, season two, series one, series two, however we want to call it, of the separate episodes. And, you know, I was okay with Children of Earth um, with the um, one story, five parts, but this one story, ten part is just stretching things out. And, you know, be, and, you know I listen to other podcasts who, you know, some people have already, um, they're either just going to fast forward through it and drop off or, and I mean, it's too bad that, you know, some of these people are not going to stay and watch the whole thing. I mean, I'm going to stay and watch the whole thing, but I, I feel it's going into a political drama, um, situation and maybe just a little sci-fi here and there. And, um, Dave, if you don't mind, can I play like a, like a 20 second clip uh, real quick? Okay, it's not from episode seven, yeah. No, no, nothing from episode seven. So. The Torchwood Institute was set up by the British royal family in 1879 to defend the realm of Great Britain by investigating the unusual, the strange, and the alien. Doctor Who is the show where Jack was born, and uh, that show was more about you know talking cats and and uh, monsters and Daleks and creatures. Torchwood now has found its own feet, and we're more kind of into the psychological sci-fi end of it. And see, that's what he's saying, the psychological sci-fi, but the thing is, I'm only seeing just a little bit of sci-fi in this series so far, and I think what would really disappoint me is if it turns out not to be aliens at all, which is originally what Torchwood was set up a long time ago to do, and it turns out just to be ordinary people, you know, I would be very disappointed. But to me, it feels very much a sequel to Children of Earth, more than it is related to um, Season 1, Season 2. Um, right. Like I said, the character's okay. Um, I'm kind of okay with Rex. I'm not that you know crazy about him. I do miss more of Jack being in the episodes, and he seems to be sitting in a uh, secondary or uh, backseat, maybe saving him later on. I don't know. It's just... I don't know. I I just been okay with the series. I, I I am disappointed on on some fronts with it, but on other ones, you know, I'm glad they brought back, especially the um, the eyewear for Gwen, mm. and maybe what Graham brought up about um, Gwen is maybe it's the way it's being written, her character, of uh, how different she seems to be now than she did in the um, earlier Torchwood. I mean, she's gotten character progression, but, you know, I don't know if that's the right way for her or not. Like I said, I've just been pretty much okay with the with the series. But I did like the James Bond part with the um, that one gal getting crushed up in the car. Uh, the woman, <laughs> I do, the, the woman yeah. from the Tea Party. Yeah, Dead is Dead one. Yeah. And that um, James Bond line I quote from Goldfinger, do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Right before that mobster gets crushed up in the um, Goldfinger movie. But I mean, it seems to be bits and parts which are pretty good. And if they do bring back Torchwood again, I don't know, Russell may want to move on. Um, I hope they bring it back as an episodic Maybe with a small arc like second season with Gray, I don't know. Just have to wait and see on that. But so far, okay. it's been it's been okay for me. Okay, uh, Ian, do you want is there anything you want to read out of the text before I I go to the episode 
six clip of Does it actually work? Good. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. Right, uh, let me... Uh, uh, as Darth comes back on audio, we'll play a clip and then we'll go around the room and ask anybody if they want to just say anything more before we move on to a, episode 7. What happened to her? Everything's going to be fine. But we murdered her. No. The modules were designed to kill. Therefore, death within this compound is legal. What's going on? Let's go, everybody. Lockdown. That's right. We're officially in lockdown, folks. Nobody leaves until further notice. Yes, sir. What about visitors, sir? Shouldn't we escort them out? Isn't that observer still here? The one from Washington, Dr. Warren? No, she left. She's gone. I'll get my dog. You get a truck, okay? Okay. Your name is Janet Ray Tanner. What do you want? I just want some information from your boss. The miracle. How was it done? Why was it done? How can it be undone? I'm a middleman. Someone is playing the system right across planet Earth with infinite grace. There is one word that my operatives picked up. What is it? The blessing. I'm going to expose everything that's going on here. I taped it. I taped everything. What are you doing? Colin! Don't do it! Yeah! Mr. Maloney! Esther! Rex? Esther, just run! This has got to stop. Thank you. You walked in. I'm here. And I've opened up the radio link. We let our government build concentration camps. Now I don't care if the whole of society bends over and takes this like a dog. I'm saying no. <laughs> My girl. The death of Vera Juarez demands a full investigation. There will be no apology for the Category 1 process. If we really want to stop this happening, we need to look at the bigger picture. Find out what the blessing is. She's going Cooper? Lenses. Who are you? What do you want? What do you want? Uh, that scene with the, when uh, Gwen blows up the... Uh, the installation and uh, they have a, a real Charlie's Angel moment with a, the, the flames behind her. Thought that's a real wallpaper type situation. Um, so let's let's just go around the room and just summarise before we move on, and then give people who haven't seen episode seven the chance to vacate the room. And if you're listening to the recording later, you could pause at that point. So, excluding episode six, uh, seven. Sorry, Ian, do you want to go first? Yeah, um, this this was the episode that kind of got me back into gear, I guess, because uh, uh, for those of you who uh, follow me on Twitter, I've been kind of uh, a little behind. Um, I, after episode uh, two or three, I think I had stopped watching, and uh, knowing that this show was coming up, I had to you know, get back into it. So yesterday I uh, watched episodes four or five, uh, six, uh, back to back, and then uh, this morning, finish off episode 7 so this is one uh, I remember actually saying that's my girl in my head right before Jack said it and I'm like God, yeah that's cool <laughs> um, but yeah like I was saying this, the, it's been a bit of an exploration of, uh, of, of, of 
how the the world reacts to something like this, something that you think is is a great thing. Oh yeah, we can't die. What happens when you do? Um, and actually, I'm going to defend uh, Russell uh, killing off Vera Juarez. Uh, it's the exact thing you needed. Uh, yeah, because it's the thing you. That's the way I always defend Russell. I guess is Russell will do the things that you say he shouldn't do, and that's why one of the reasons why he does them is because he can and he will. He'll he'll pull those those characters. He'll make you really like them, and then he'll bump them off uh, in the worst possible way. And especially at the, the end there, where you're you're saying, "Okay, open the door, get her out, get her out, get her out," and uh, it's 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 great, you know. You, there's no sense getting rid of the red shirt. You know, there's no sense. Uh, oh, I've never seen this guy before. I don't know who he is. He's obviously going to die. Um, uh, the the end where uh, where um, she's rescuing Rex and she she knocks off, she kills that guy. You know, it's obviously her, her first kill. It, it, it's, it's a great scene. Um, yeah. Uh, Colin Maloney is is just dead creepy, and this guy who's just being pushed uh, into this position, you know, has no medical, uh, you know, experience. Is just basically there to manage the whole system, and you know, he doesn't know what to do. You know, he's supposed to be doing all this stuff, and the government's over his shoulder. They've got a budget, and so he's doing what you know any middle management guy does. He tries to bring it in under budget. The one thing I did not like is the forty-five club. Because that was introduced in this episode solely to have that guy jump off the building, and it was dead obvious. Um, did not like it. If you'd had smatterings of the Forty Five Club earlier uh, in earlier episodes, uh, you know, running along the scrolls at the bottom, and and little bits that you'd hear uh, uh, out, you know, to the side, that would have been better. But it was just like, oh, that's why he's jumping. They needed to have a guy jump off the building for it to be dramatic, so they introduced the 45 Club. It was quite clear that just, you know, there's no way of dying, um, apart from, of course, being incinerated. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's me up to, to, to okay. speed. Uh, Darth, do you want to just uh, cover anything more on these six episodes before we move on? I will. I'll, Low I'll volume. Oh, yeah, okay. probably. I've had some problems here with my. Move towards the mic. <laughs> I'm as close to the mic as I can be. Is it really? Still go, not very loud. Yeah, yeah, no, you're good now. Try to turn that up, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, if before I was sort of heaving praise on the thing, I think I think I will here uh, add some notes of criticism a little bit. That is, Ernie Hudson. Oh my God, he was terrible. Terrible. I mean, seriously, episode six, in the middle, in the damn restaurant scene, my eyes glazed over. I couldn't follow the dude. He has what I call a preacher cadence, which is to say, um, you know, this very methodical, rhythmic way of speaking that just puts you off of what he's trying to say. I found him oh horrible guest cast choice. I mean, I kind of get why they went with him, you know, because he's got You're some... You're speaking a bit now, sorry. You've only speaking. Sorry, I've been struggling with this thing for That's the last That's fine few now. Just fine now. Just... Fine. Okay. Um, but uh, Ernie Hudson just... Um, 
put me to sleep, bored me to tears. Uh, the, he did nothing innovative with the lines. And at a couple of points, I thought that he just simply stressed the wrong words in sentences so that you were not quite sure how to take what he was saying. Um, I, that, to me, he is the, the worst bit of casting in a series that otherwise has had almost flawless, well, actually not almost, except for him, it is flawless casting. Um, I, I heard Radio Free Scar people, and they were saying, oh, we loved Ernie Hudson, we just thought he was great. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, to me, he was just terrible and wooden, and it, and it dragged down that part of the episode. Fortunately, the back half of episode six is great. Um, the the stuff with Esther gouging out um, Happy Sunshine guy, I forget his name, the, 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 the guy who runs the... Um, Colin. Yeah, him. He, where, where she gouges out his eyes, that literally caused a physical reaction in me. You know, in the same sense that sometimes when you see a dude getting kicked in the balls, you you have a, a reaction physically to that. You can, you know, almost feel it. That was done so well and so viscerally uh, that it it it's amazing that that sort of scene is in the same episode as the really poor Ernie Hudson scene. Um, but yet, even though the the choice of actor I think was bad uh, for the Ernie Hudson character, I think that the base conceit of the character and indeed the lines. Are great. I mean, it took me two viewings to actually hear and comprehend and understand the lines, um, and, and try to divorce the line from the actor. But once I did that, I was, uh, you know, quite happily um, pleased with what the writing was trying to accomplish, even though the acting wasn't up to the writing. Um, so uh, I, I. I'm a little curious about what I heard of Graham's response that, you know, episode five and the, and the ending there made him turn off on Torchwood because, to me, that was just one of the most stunning moments, I think, in, you know, televised history. I mean, the, the, the well, fictionalized televised history. I mean, the the sort of restaging of the Holocaust and doing it in a way that, really didn't show anything. I mean, he talked about people's faces melting. That obviously didn't actually happen on camera. Um, but the, um, you know, Mackay Pfeiffer's action is gold, absolute gold. It totally sells the scene. It is the scene. It's all done in a reaction shot, but yet you really do feel it. And it, it informs his character, because up to this point, you kind of believe that he just is almost playing Vera Juarez, you know, um, he's just, she's just another conquest of his. But yet here you do actually see there's a twinge of something more to that relationship than what we thought before. You do feel that he is losing a possible future for himself. Uh, I, I, I thought five, the ending of five is, was stunning, jaw dropping. It, it, it was a gut punch because you know here's the character that we did really like. Um, but it it was totally effective, and as Ian said, I think it was absolutely perfect uh, for the plot. It was, you know, this is the end of the preliminaries. We're done playing around. This thing is serious now. 
Um, and, you know, I think as we look back on this, after we have all ten episodes, we'll definitely see that as, you know, end of Act One, essentially, or the the, the mid-season break, as it were. And, of course, as it should be. I mean, it is literally the middle of the, the story. Um, but I, I think that's great. And I, I've never been one who has a problem with Russell D. Davies killing. Every person that Russell D. Davies has ever killed off, I've been cool with. Except for maybe Astrid, because that was a little bit, um, I don't know, telegraphed. I, it, again, that that was the character I never really warmed to, so when Astrid dies in Voice of the Damned, she really cared. Um, but, I mean, I got what he was trying to do with it, and it was fine. It was more, again, there, kind of a an actor mistake. I don't really care about Kylie Minogue, and I certainly didn't think that she brought anything particularly to that role, so it didn't mean anything. Uh, here, you know, a million yeah, views. Well... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is, it is the top-rated <laughs> episode. You're right. Um, certainly did great things for press around the world. That's fine. Um, but, you know, here you have a character that I very much cared about, much more so than I ever cared about, Yanto. Um, and it was totally out of the field. Um, I don't think it is at all like anything that he's done before in terms of killing characters because, you know, it, it's not the end of the story. Um, it's, I mean, I, I defy anybody to tell me that they saw that coming. Well, no way. I mean, that was, that was out of total left field and only after it, you know, can you say, oh, well now I understand why that actor is not in the, um, opening titles, you know, why she's always listed as special guest starring instead of top billing. And it's because she doesn't make it to the end, but that's it. That is the only possible tip-off that you have, and no one could have had the prescience really to say, oh, yeah, she's going to die. It, it was... It, I don't think even within that episode you necessarily see it. I think that, like like Ian says, I think that you are expecting something to happen, the, the things to get shut off, the, the flames to get shut off. Somebody, you know, Rex will go up and somehow open the door and pull her out, you're expecting something completely different than him holding up the camera and just photographing the event. Yeah, that is, resignation moment when he does that is... <laughs> it's gold. It's gold. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. dramatic gold. Um, and uh, I think it, it does a lot of things. And, then, you know, which was not Doctor Who, fine, fair enough. But nevertheless, it still comes kind of from that DNA. And... You know, at the back of RTD's mind is television can be used to educate people. I mean, that's a basic deal. And I, and I think the great thing about that stretch of the story of Miracle Day is you know, that it that it does recall the Holocaust. That it might make people who um, are watching this thing to go back and check for similarities between that and the Holocaust because it's. It's very like that. You know, it is the return of the logic that was behind the Holocaust. And I think that that's a great part of this story, a really strong part of the whole story. And so, again, for those who think it's moving slow, it's like appreciate, you know, this isn't fast food. You know, this is much more akin to gourmet meal, and you have to enjoy each part of it. And I think if you do look at it in terms of segments, in terms of, um, you know, chapters in a book, kind of, I think you'll enjoy it just a hell of a lot more because it that that stretch of 
you know, four and five, um, with the fabulous acting of, and I again, I forgot the character's name, but the fabulous acting of the, the guy who is the the leader of the the um, the camp, the overflow camp, and the Cullen guy, yeah, and his age. And, you know, that's a fabulous moment in, in, in episode six where he's just, you know, in the middle of this big fight when – what's his name is resurrected and starts fighting um, Esther and Rex again. Well, Esther, yeah. really, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, and and the dude just pops up from behind the corner and said, I have had enough of this if you shoot him. <laughs> this is going This is going to stop. Yeah, yeah. This is, I laughed out loud. I mean, in the moment, of, it was a scene that went from just – kicking me in the guts in terms of the reality of the fight to laughter at how it ended. It was just great. Um, so he was, he was great just popping up at the end there. That was <laughs> really, and, you know, he's peppered throughout. You know, and again, that's another thing that you can, this character you can sympathize with because he's making the moral point of World War II, which is, you know, can we just follow orders blindly? And he's a guy that, you know, you wouldn't expect it. He seems weak. Uh, he seems incapable in a lot of ways. But he is a guy who says at the end of the day, no, I'm not just going to follow orders blindly. There is right, there is wrong, and it doesn't matter whether you can't die anymore. You're at least doing harm to people for no good reason. So guess what? I'm going to shoot you, you know? <laughs> uh, so I, I think that, that it's a lovely moral lesson in a show that you don't expect moral lessons from. Really. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I've I think the stretch of four, five, and six is great, and, and viewed as just a story in itself, story in the larger universe, the larger sort of Miracle Day universe, is completely satisfying. And it was a great three weeks. The only thing that sucks about it is Ernie Hudson. Um, and it's not even his character. It's just Ernie Hudson. And, you know, one of the great things about that whole Ernie Hudson thing um, is the Jack with his assistant, you know, Jack just suddenly working on her mental processes, trying to get her to understand that the guy that she works for is not so great. You know, why in the world is she hanging around with a married guy? She could do so much better because clearly she can. Um, so let's, you know, trying to figure out a way that we can um, circle around this guy and get to the truth of him. His wife, who's barely in the scene, is is fabulous. And again, she's teaching an interesting moral lesson in that she's just not going to take it. You know, I mean, she's barely in the shot for 30 seconds, but you get... I don't even know that she's got a line, um, or at least not much of one. But nevertheless, the idea that she would have called the cops on him, you know, just gives you the idea that she's a strong woman. She's not going to put up with things, or at least that she's dealt with this in the past enough times that this is it. Um, so there's even even in the little characters that we have here, there's some interesting things going on. And a, a thing that I especially love about what is it six and I guess seven to an extent, well, seven to, is, you know, the disappearance of Bill Pullman. Where is he? What is he doing? He's like a shark out there in, uh, you know, the distance of the narrative. What are he and Jilly up to? We don't know because they're not even present. And and yet their absence just feels like this um, uh, oppressive weight of when are these guys coming back and what will they do when they do return? 
kind of like those episodes of late Star Trek Deep Space Nine where, you know, you wouldn't have, I, I guess, the Louise Fletcher character is, is a great example. Uh, Ty Wynn in, in Season 7. You know, she wasn't there in every episode. And, and the whole time you're thinking, okay, when is she coming back and what the hell is she going to do when she does? Um, it's... It, the Bill Pullman and, and Julie Kissinger characters remind me very much of the um, the narrative impact, at least, of, of Louise Fletcher and um, oh, whoever plays the Kardashian commander who turns into Bajoran at the end, and then Gal- whatever his name. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to slap you for that one, though. I know, really, seriously. Yeah, but that but that double act in season seven of of Deep Space Nine is very much like this double act here in that it's not present in, in every episode, but it's absolutely crucial, and you know that they're going to be there in the very last scene of whatever happens with this series. So it's always a matter of who's playing who as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Between the two of them, it's like who who really is in control in this, and you yeah. never quite figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me just see if, um, very briefly, uh, Charlie, or Robert, want to just make something before I move on to episode seven. Charlie, any brief comments before we move to seven? Uh, just, uh, you know, the, these, yeah, the two stories about the overcamps, you know, it was glad, I'm glad they, you know, you know, told the stories, and it seemed like, uh, you know, um, I also liked you know, the scene that kind of stuck out for me was the uh, the, the scene in episode Six, the um, when Gwen confronts that doctor, you know, and, and says, "Don't you dare!" Mm. And um, it's just yeah, it's just it's, it's, it seemed like the whole torture team was you know up to the t- up to the task to uh, to, you know, to deal with this issue. I mean, and and you know it's you know it's you know it's gloomy stuff, but it had to be told. So. Okay, uh, Robert, any quickly before I move on to seven? Yeah, I liked. Um the one Mission Impossible scene that you talked about earlier, Dave, where um, she blows the um, the facility the up there. Yeah. The camp, yeah. But the the only thing that kind of sticks out in my mind, well, how are you going to help the people that still need the help there? I mean, yeah, you stopped the, um, the burning of the um, number ones, but what about the number twos? The ones that are still trying to recover and stuff. I mean, you took away the um, power that keeps the thing going, you know, it's a, it's great to stop that, but you still have these other people that, you know, still need treat treatment and stuff. So now you left them, you know, kind of like out in the dark for that situation. I don't know if she thought about that. Because she, she seems to be minded where she's just thinking about her family. Uh, you know, the main thing is her and her family, and then it seems like the other people come secondary to her. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, okay. that's the way I'm looking at on that. But the Ernie Hudson I did like. He was okay. I liked him in The Crow and I liked him in Ghostbusters. But the feel with him is he seemed to be more the info dump for the people. And you almost kind of expect, as um, Captain Jack is talking to him, that a screen's going to come down the restaurant and um, he's going to pass the book of secrets over to him about what's really going on behind the scenes. But, you know, as an actor, I, I like Ernie Hudson, but I was okay with um, episode six. It wasn't too bad. 
Okay. Uh, right, just before we go on to episode seven, and there may be people not only dropping off in the room, but dropping off listening to the audio recording that they've downloaded, just to mention that um, next week, uh, the 28th of August, we're back on Doctor Who, Let's Kill Hitler, will have aired on the 27th. Uh, here in the UK, we now know the time is going to be 10 past seven in the evening. So on the day after the Sunday, the uh, August the 28th, we'll be doing our Cult and Collective review of Let's Kill Hitler. And uh, with that, I'll uh, play... Uh, if you haven't seen episode seven, you might want to drop off our uh, pause your listening pleasure and uh, we'll catch it later. For everybody else, here we go with the final clip. What's your name? Angelo Colasanto. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, my Italian isn't so... Uh, she's saying there is only one bed. Io dormirò per terra. I said I'll sleep on the floor. I like New York. What happened to your eye? I was born with it. It's me. I'm the same man. I saw you. I saw you get shot. I got better. You got shot in the head. You came back for me. You don't know whether to hit me or to kiss me, do you? Come on. You can try both. We can show you. It's a miracle. A miracle? I want to see. Do it again. Tony, prova con la pistola. How much is the butcher asking? 10,000. Not too much for something with so much potential. And we don't him together. A partnership. Tell me another one. I've said enough. No, go on, tell me. Just tell me about your life, all the things that you've never said. How many children did you have, Jack? I've lived a lot of lifetimes, Gwen. I can't tell you everything. A lot of lifetimes is a consolation, isn't it? Is it? When you've had more lives than anyone. It's not enough. I don't want to die. I know. And for you, you better pray the death comes back to this planet by the time I'm finished with you. So tell us who you are before I let her loose. I don't see that anything's changed. You're still coming with me. Why would I do that? You'll want to come with me. Because I can take you to the one man who knows how the miracle began. Who's that? Angelo. Angelo Colasanto. He's waiting for you, Jack. He's been waiting for such a very long time. Uh, now, if okay, you I'm, give me one in. No, I'm going first. Right, okay. <laughs> I saw that coming a mile away, but... I literally had goosebumps. I mean, and and I'm always getting on people about things literally when it didn't actually happen. But I did. Shiver went through my body, and it just did again too on the clip too. But I don't know why. It just was like that was a that was great. Sorry. All right, continue. <laughs> okay, I was I was, I was only because you know I'm going to have to drop off in a few moments. Uh, mm-hmm. I just realised, of course, that um, um, Oswald Danes plucked a word out of the air, uh, seemingly randomly. We are angels, 
and this guy was called Angelo. Uh, the the people buying uh, Captain Jack, who'd been strung up in this butcher shop, and people were taking potshots of him, uh, call themselves a partnership. Presumably, they're going to be the families because there were three of them. Um, the the fact that we Angelo has this uh, funnily marked eye, this damaged eye, that's going to be how we're going to recognise him when presumably he comes back. And this is speculation, not spoilers. In any future episode, we had Nana visitor there right at the end. Um, yeah. There was a lovely feel to this episode. Um, uh, as I mentioned in text before we started, it was sort of trying to explain to Tim without spoiling it. It was sort of a Godfather Part Two, uh, you know, um, h- how um, how Don Corleone, um, you know, set up in in uh, the New World, as it were. So it had a lovely. Well, once uh, upon a feel. time in America, feel to uh, that with uh, Nero, yeah. Ah, uh, uh, indeed, in that. So uh, it was a completely different. Pace. It was the one that Comic Con um, uh, uh, Captain Jack character um, <laughs> said that um, it was his favourite, um, his favourite uh, John Barrowman's favourite episode. He he really loved it. Um, <laughs> but he loved country. acting it or whatever. But uh, yeah. Um, but because of time pressures, I, I'm going to have to bow out in and let you yes. bring the episode to close and I will listen back later with uh, rapt attention but yep. with that thank you everybody and I'll uh, catch you next time yep. thanks Dave and we'll see you next week uh, we'll see you at 8 o'clock hopefully as well yes yes and that'll be uh, that'll be Sorry. arriving soon yes <laughs> Bye, everyone. thanks for taking part all right, a um, couple of things in the in the chat. Uh, of course, uh, Merlin brings up the, the triangle handshake to seal the deal. Of course, we've seen that uh, that symbol throughout. Actually, right before that, I was looking at the the guy in the middle, and he's got his pocket handkerchief, which is in it's it's a perfect triangle too, and you see it too. So it's like uh, that that scene um, was actually better, I think, than when uh, Captain Jack got blown up in, in Children of Earth. Uh, that constant mm. him waking up and them hacking and and shooting and and doing all sorts of just terrible things to him uh, was probably the the I guess the best worst scene I've ever seen of of, of Jack's curse as it were um, just fabulous uh, and oh Davy Boy says uh, Davy Boy goes on to say uh, one thing about episode 7 it was some of the best written gay relationship material on television uh, any gay person who's dated a self-loathing gay person would sympathize with the scene where Jack confronts Angelo over praying after they have sex uh, it was a real Jack scene which uh, doesn't often happen it was his true feelings coming out through um Actually, on that, I will actually play another clip with everybody's indulgence um, because uh, I focused uh, on, on that bit as well. And so here's the clip. I'm not letting you send me away. Why? Because you wouldn't know how to get another man? Because you're not brave enough? You think I'm with you because it's easy. It's not easy. Trust me. I know. I hear the beads clicking at night, Angelo. Everything we do. You ask for forgiveness afterwards. That's just sex. Imagine if it was love. What would he say then, your God? What would he say if two men could love? Oh, but no. No, that's impossible. And if it's impossible, then you can't stay with me. You. You're an ass. I feel guilty about what we do. Doesn't make me stop doing it. Besides, I always hoped. If 
God is love. Maybe he loves me too. That's blasphemy. I think that's Christianity. You're unpacking my things? I've got this friend. He's called the doctor. He explores the world with a companion. It looks nice. Are you saying that I can stay? Maybe. Torchwood, live with it. <laughs> um, and of course, I had to, as Robert uh, pointed out in the text chat, uh, uh, another little uh, tie-in with Doctor Who, and there's a, another one a little later on as well. Um, so, uh, around the room. Uh, Robert, we'll start with you. Episode 7. Wow. All I can say is, wow, Ian. <laughs> Man, I am so happy we finally, finally have a Captain Jack episode. And, you know, I've been waiting for this, and, man, it, it's like I mentioned when Dave was talking about, very much a feel of Once Upon a Time in America for me, you know, how I, I felt when I was watching this. It, and, of course, that's one of my favorite movies besides The Godfather. And, you know, I like how it starts off at Ellis Island. Like I said, very similar, Ellis Island as well. And, um, you know, Jack um, tracks him down and um, decides to help him out. And it was like an instant love relationship. And, and of course, the two scenes where they do do it reminds me of that episode of um, Series 2 with um, Gwen walking in on Jack and Yonko. I think it was a missing persons one when Gwen was trying to find out what happened to missing persons. And then she walks in on Jack and <laughs> that was that was great. But, yeah, I, I was, I liked this episode and... It, it's kind of nice to get the, the tie-in as the flashbacks as we did with Series 2 and with um, Children of Earth where, you know, we see Jack back in the, you know, early 18, 1900s. And, and in a sense, it's good with this episode because now we're starting to get a little more tie-in with what's going on with the Miracle Day and kind of going back in time with this. Um I, I think they do kind of overdo it with the killing of Jack. I I think that's just to let you know to you know put the point across to people that are just you know watching Torchwood for the first time that yes Jack is immortal and yes you know you can kill him like a hundred thousand times like the time monster at the end of series one where you know you just keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. Um, but I don't know if anybody caught that they, the camera seemed to focus on the vial of blood that one of them took from Jack. And yeah. I don't know if that's going to be important, but usually when they do camera shots where they close in on a certain item or a certain thing, sometimes that may lead into something future down the road. Who knows? I'm just kind of speculating on that. But Was it the butcher's but, uh, wife that had the vial of blood? It just shows the the bottle with the fingers holding the bottle, and I didn't see who it was connected with. But 
Yeah, and then um, as was mentioned, the the triangle um, salute thing with the um, three, you know, at where um, you know Jack is out, and um, the, just the realization with Jack that you know, and almost like with the doctor as well that you know he can never stay, you know, too long in a place, and and you know he pretty much told him that every, you know, that as long as I with you, I die. You know, he kind of associated that with, you know, what happened to him there at the butcher shop. So. Right. And, you know, decided that, you know, he, you know, like the doctor being the person that goes by himself, you know, so does Jack go by himself. But, yeah, excellent, excellent episode. And I'm glad that, you know, and I, I feel for these people that are going to cut off Torchwood before they get to Episode 7 because, really, Episode 7 do explain you know, some things about what's going on with Miracle Day, and it may, like I said, down the road, have some tie-ins to what's going on, so. Right. Can't gush any more about this episode, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, thank you, sir. Charlie B79. Oh, yeah, um, very good episode. Just, yeah, um, how, you know, like, you know, how it you know, flashes back from the, Current day to uh, the past, and just you know, the, and the, you know, the relationship with Angelo and Jack, and how it how it mirrors with, with uh, the relationship that Gwen and Jack have, and just you know, this whole th- you know, just the whole thing, you know, you know, you know, you're my friend, but I'll, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to get my you know my family back, and vice versa, and everything like that. Right. And um, yeah, like the the, the Doctor Who tie-ins, uh, the the uh, bit with the, the the trickster, you know, the, the stuff in the crate. And um, yeah, just you know the whole bit with uh, the butcher shop, you know how you know we you know we get you know uh, too good to be true with Miracle Day. It's sort of the same thing with uh, Jack. You know it's too good, you know, to be true with him being immortal. Um, yeah, and just and just the whole and the whole how uh, the way the the um, the episode ends with uh, um, Esther and Rex uh, saving the day because it's sort of like. You know, in hindsight, you're thinking, you know, Gwen and Jack leave, and then, and then, and then you don't hear anything from from Rex and Nestor. He's, I'm at the, I was thinking if they're ever going to cut back to them going. So what's uh, Jack and Gwen doing? But so um, maybe so we get that little bit at the end, and then of course, you know, Nana visitor and and just you know, and yeah, yeah, you know, it's sort of like you know, you know, if we could have a, if we could have a character in flashback and saying, you know, you you know that Angelo's sort sort of going to gonna you know come back i mean maybe come back you know verbally but um yeah it's still like sort of a oh wow kind of moment so yeah yep um oh i had a thought and then i lost it never mind (laughs) (laughs) that happened yes mr dar skeptical Um, oh, that's what I, that's what I remember. Just before you start, yeah, um, yeah that, that 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 whole the the car scene with the flashbacks was all a nice little sleight of hand, leading up to the very end when they didn't jump back and and show you what uh, Rex and that were doing. Um, it's kind of like you can tend to forget because you keep lapsing in and out of these different time zones and and these two different relationships, and then at the end you're like, oh, well, who's who's got the <laughs> who's got the laser scopes? Who's not here? Who's here? You know, you actually find yourself thinking that, and then you're like, "How did I get there?" And then, boom, explanation. It's nice. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that's a good point. Um, there's so much good to talk about in the, in, in episode seven. 
But I think the thing that, that characterizes the episode for me is it, it was a series of sort of WTF bumps, like things happening that I didn't think would, were going to happen, but they did. Um, I, I never in a million years thought we were going to get any kind of reference to Doctor Who in Miracle Day. You know, because now we're, you know, a totally different network. There's a disconnect between the two things. It's now an American production. It's no longer really for all practical purposes. Sorry, British listeners. It is no longer a British production. It is firmly an American production. Um, and I, I just didn't think we were going to get any kind of reference to that. The fact that he actually mentions the name of the Doctor, the fact that, you know, he talks about companions – that was pretty amazing. Uh, you know, then there's a reference to the Trickster's Brigade, so that's a, essentially that's a reference to Sarah Jane Sarah Adventures. Jane. I mean, I mean we, we, we could say turn left, but really it predates that. That's pretty amazing, um, but it's one of those little, you know, useless references. It doesn't matter because it, it's hardly been explained anywhere. Um, but still, you know, the fact that you get that reference, the fact that you have an alien popping up um, after seven episodes, finally some kind of um, thing going on there. Um, you know, this notion of time travel, that's all, uh, and, and changing the natural course of history, you know, that couldn't be more Doctor Who, really. Um, that's all in there. Um, and and yet, and then, and then, you know, you top it off by ending the thing with an Anna visitor suddenly being there, and you're like, what the hell? You know, how how much more could you hope for, or what much more could you hope for being a, a fan of science fiction than this episode? Because you get what you wanted. Maybe um, seven episodes too late, some would say, but it it is there. Um, I don't know where to even begin with the praise, although I would confirm you, uh, your statement earlier, Ian, in that the scene of mass killing or, you know, public it is a kind of hanging, I guess, but public killing that is really where I thought Torchwood would go at certain places um, in, in the examination of Captain Jack. Whereas I think in Series 1, Series 2, to some extent Series 3, um, this whole notion of Jack coming back to life was treated as a superpower kind of, you know, and it just happens and you take it for granted and you never explore what the ramifications are that much. I mean, there's a little bit in the season finale of series one, I guess, that deals with the ramifications slightly because he thinks he's not going to die, but then does. I mean, he thinks that he's not going to come back, but then does. Um, but that sense so of clumsily because you never know well, why does he come back after? Why is that death particularly different than any other death? And it's it's sort of very muddy. But you know they do deal with it a little bit. Um, and I suppose in series three, you know they're trying to test what the boundaries are. If we blow him up, does he come back? Okay, well yes he does. But this is really just describing the, you know the mechanics of this phenomena. It's not really dealing with the. Uh, Sorry, with the um, the psychology of it, and I think that right. that scene is a visceral scene, just like when Esther gouges out the eyes of Ah, I really should learn this guy's name. The, the guy. There you go. Okay, him. 
Um, you know, and that you really feel. Um, this scene too, you do at a, at a gut level, you feel, oh my God, of course this would happen. You know, this is a freak of nature. And if you do something like this, especially in, you know, a heavily Catholic area, what are they going to do? They're going to demand proof of the miracle or they're going to right. re- read it in a religious sense. And, and, and they're going to, you know, with a, a mixture of, of awe and repugnance, they're going to kill him off some more and some more to, to see what it is. Run out um, their neighbors and everybody for the right. event. And it becomes an event, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that that is you know, a fundamentally correct reading of human nature. Especially again, you know, of more or less Catholic human nature, um, and it, it was just so powerful. Uh, so that shocked me. I think the other thing that shocked me, you know, at first this whole Angelo thing, which is obviously the crux of the episode, the romance between Jack and Angelo. Um, at first, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" We're going to have another one of the like, like it was, it seemed almost improbable to me that Jack could so easily pick up a guy from Ellis Island of all places, um, and, you know, and, and casually hook up with him for, uh, sex in the 1920s. Um, and, and at first I was like quite, not quite getting what it was all about, but then as it became deeper and more complex and more layered, then suddenly it was like, oh no, this is a, a really good exploration of you know, homosexual love and what the, the ramifications of that are in, in lots of different ways. Um, it's, it's layered. This isn't Yanto who's just you know doing it for fun and maybe a mixture of grief over losing his cyber woman, maybe. I mean, this is something much more dull, much more complex. This is really, I think, what Torture was trying to be from the beginning. This is adult. This is something you wouldn't find on Doctor Who. You couldn't find on Doctor Who. But it's not puerile like Sex Gas episode, episode two, whatever it was called. Um, this is proper exploration of one aspect of sexuality. Boom. Uh, and, and I think it's done just so well. Yes, go ahead. Ian. I mean, I, I, there's only so many things you can pull out clips-wise, but another one of the clips that I really wanted to put on there was uh, the the opening shot of them in the church, and uh, he says, oh, "You're Catholic. Am I supposed to kneel like you know? Am I supposed to kneel like that?" Mm-hmm. And he goes, "I don't, you know, because he doesn't hear me." Yeah, and it's just oh, uh, yeah. It, it's one of those things. It's like. You, you, if there, if you want to say there's a gay agenda, yes, there is, and that's it right there. Just you know, um, this is dealing with it um, rather than just like we'd seen earlier, where Jack was like, okay, well, the world's really pretty screwed up. I'm just going to go have some you know, nameless sex. Uh, this is uh, a relationship, you know, and mm. and it did for the time they had available in the time that you actually see the two of them on the screen together, it actually does a really good job of, of, of saying that, you know, they, these two, you know, really like each other. And, and, and Jack at the end basically saying, I can't be with you. Uh, this says an awful lot about him because like the doctor says, you know, it, it echoes the doctor's words from, um, from school reunion, you know, that basically, I just have to watch you grow old, and he didn't want to do that. Um, although I did find it, 
I guess slightly unrealistic that after all of this mass slaughtering of Jack in the in the, in the butchers, that he then goes and frees him. <laughs> um, well, it's your damn fault. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I, I'm not sure that I read the scene that way. I didn't read it as he was the one that sprung him from jail. I read it as he happened to be there on the day where he was naturally released from jail. Um, no, 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 no. When. Uh, no, when the when Jack was cut, her. when yeah. when he got Jack out of the the butchers. Yeah, oh, oh, you mean he? And, and uh, I was saying he to be Jack. Uh, oh, you mean he? Yeah, why would he? Try, okay, yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. But I, but I think that the point is, um, you know, you you kind of get. I mean, that feeds into why he can't. Um, uh, why Jack can't have him as a companion anymore? Um, because at the end of the day, Jack doesn't trust Angelo anymore. That, I think that's the point of that scene on the roof. Um, he's not, not saying. I mean, yes, there is there is some of that Tenth Doctor Rose dialogue there of you know I'm never going to die. You are. Um, but I think more than that, it, I I took it the reason that he couldn't have Angelo as a companion anymore to be he didn't trust him anymore right um, and Davey Boy puts that in there too we don't know if Angelo frees him for uh, pure notions so there is I, I, I was wondering that it's like yeah. is he leading him into a trap you know it's yeah. a trap sorry uh, and, 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 well thank you Akbar. Uh <laughs> but it, it depends and I, I think this is a mystery that maybe we'll uh, have to pick up on with later episodes as we as we learn you know I mean, obviously, Angelo is apparently alive. At least that's what we're told in the last scene. Um, so why and what exactly did he have to do with a miracle and all this stuff? Um, so I think maybe we'll, we'll explore that a little bit later. But yeah. just with this episode, man, um, it, it's one thing that I – another thing that I found particularly compelling about it was this whole notion of the Doctor's companion, you know, that – this is the the apparently the first time in Jack's life after Rose because this would be relatively soon after that in Jack terms. I mean, this would be forty years or so after when he um, teleported to nineteenth century Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, he wouldn't have had, he apparently didn't have a companion up to this point, and it's an interesting exploration of him trying to do to be Dr. Light you know and and you know what is the utility of a companion what do you do with a companion you know why do you need somebody traveling with you and his spin on it is you know it's a little bit different to what the doctor does with companions but yet at the same time it's it, it is in that model and so this I think informs even something like Utopia or, or the sound of drums, where the doctor, where Jack says, you know, I did this, I, I, I remade Torchwood for you in your honor, and you can kind of see, well, he is kind of doing that here. He is trying to take lessons learned from the doctor and do something. And so it's interesting that this episode, which really you don't need to know a damn thing about Doctor Who to enjoy, that if you really think about it, it it, it is informing a a performance of Jack that was you know four years ago. Yeah. Um, I was thinking exactly the same thing, the utopia bit where he goes, I did it in your honor, you know. Right. Well, even Annette Uh, ties back to um, his origin story back in um, Series 2 where 
you know, he was brash and didn't understand, you know, well, you know, I'm stuck here for 100 years waiting to catch up with the doctor. I'm still going to need some funds. I'm still going to need stuff to live on. And then he decides to join Torchwood. And during this period now with Angelo, he tells Angelo, well, you need to start saving your money because down the road some event bad is going to happen. And you know, he's trying to describe the stock market to um, you know, the crash of 29 without trying to say that. But, you know, you need to take care of yourself. You need to start saving and stuff like that. So he seems more mature in this one um, than he did, you know, in his original origin story where he's really grown up and, you know, trying to have some responsibility while he's waiting at the doctor to come. I think that, you know, what you just mentioned there about, you know, the depression or whatever, I think there's another thing I really like about this episode because it is essentially a historical episode, which I always dig in either this or Doctor Who. Um, but what's nice is there are a number of these little references that are peppered throughout. You know, it's not just the, that. It's also, you know, the whole way in which Ellis Island is set up, the the, uh, the notion that you people came to America without visas. They came expecting that those visas would be there, and if they weren't, then they got sent back. That's totally true. Uh, it, it goes against what we think of in terms of international travel today because you would never journey to a country without getting your visa first, but that's not how it was in the uh, the heyday of Ellis Island. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that just tells you, you know, that informs the character of Angelo because what it means is he left this little village, which Jack thinks of as idyllic and would like to have visited or whatever, to come to a, a new world um, on the basis of what he thought that new world looked like without knowing whether he would actually succeed, which is a tremendous thing. You know, that's something that we, we forget about uh, early American immigrants. And I think it's nice that this story sort of confirms that and does what Dave said of, you know, sort of emulating imagery from Godfather 2. And then you have this nice little thing of um, the, the young priest. You know, they go to the church. You get, Jack goes into confession, comes out of confession uh, like box, and, and, and they get... This, this alcohol and and the priest says, well, you know, thanks to the Volmsted Act, uh, I've got the sacramental wines laying around, which is totally true. I mean, that was the the, the Volmsted Act being, you know, the, the enabling act of of the uh, what is it the is it Nineteenth Amendment, whatever the Prohibition Amendment. It's the thing that you know took the, that amendment and put it into a form of law. And one of the things that it did was it said, well, you know, we've got to somehow um, exempt priests because you got to still have sacramental wine. Uh, so they can still have wine. And, of course, what they did is exactly what you see going on here, which is they would sell it on um, to their parishioners or to whoever they thought they might get some money from, and they would thereby make more money for their parish. And, and uh, in that way, it was kind of, you know, sort of an act of charity in a way. I mean, it's black marley, but it's, um, you know, especially during the... the the um, the depression itself, um, you know, it was a way that they could make some money back. Um, so it, it's neat that this episode has some genuine history, and that part of it felt very real to me. On top of being, you know, this great exploration of homosexual love and this, uh, you know, finally this sort of science fictional moment. And, you know, this moment that connects Miracle Day to the Doctor universe in a pretty firm and unambiguous way. Um, so a lot of really great things that go on in this episode. I thought the the, the, the historical bits looked nice, too. 
um, different colors yeah. and everything too. The 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 warm kind of um, brownish kind of tones. Loved the outfit Jack was wearing when he when he was waiting for uh, Angelo outside the jail. God, John yeah. Barrowman's good looking. <laughs> um, yeah, that that sort of camel colored uh, yeah. thing that it was striking. Um, so I, you know, this is a little nitpick about Miracle Day in general. I don't Miracle Day more than any other series, actually more than anything having to do with Jack, is obsessed with the coat. It's like the coat <laughs> is the character or something, you know. And that whole business of going up to the roof, uh, you know, to get the coat. I mean, in terms of plot structure, the reason that they have to get to the roof is because then Jack is going to fall off of it. Mm-hmm. Fine. You know, whatever. Um, well, even Angelo smiled really? when he pulled his coat out. That was great. <laughs> but was it great, though? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's it, the coat thing to me is coming a gag that's almost annoying. Um, but I don't know. Maybe, that, maybe that's because... You know, I think that there are image, images in season one and season two of Torchwood where, you, you know, you do see some flashback to earlier periods with Jack, and he's not always wearing the coat. Um, you know, like when he's on the... Um, in India, um, the episode with the... I think it's with the fairies, uh, or where the, they have the... the Flies that come out of people's mouths or whatever, and he's leading them. Oh yeah, they had the flower of, petals coming out of mouths after they die. Right. Yeah. So the, you know he he's portrayed there as being in completely you know regulation at that time army, uh, you know territory. I don't know what would that be the, in, the Indian army whatever. Um, oh, in the railroad and, train um, thing where the train's going down the tracks yeah. and he's in the cart with the yeah. other guys and he turns around and all yeah. of a sudden he's the only one left. Yeah. Yeah. There's no sense that. He, Thing. Or, you know, in the um, uh, the episode that's got the guy who plays Davros, um, the, the circus episode, with the, mm. um, you know, that episode, he, he's seen clearly being, you know, a circus performer without the coat in the past. And I, and I think, too, in in um, whatever it is, episode 10, the, the one that tells us the origin story of everybody, I don't think that he has the coat universally in that. No, he's got like a cape. He wears like a fancy cape, kind of like Angel right. did right. back so then. Yeah. I, I, I think the, sorry, the reason for the for the coat reference there is is the same reason why the Doctor Who lines are in there. Um, and the same reason why mm-hmm. in, in Children of Earth, um, after they they spring Jack, uh, Yanto comes in and he says, I stopped by an army surplus store and hands him a new coat. It's the it's, right. it's uh, Indiana Jones and his hat. It's you know mm-hmm. he's not really Captain Jack unless he's got the coat on and eh. I'm I'm willing to give it a pass, you know. It's it's yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not horrible or anything, but no, it is no. it is more pronounced in this series. I think you have to admit than really certainly than in series one or series two, and certainly than in you know um, what you call it than in um, in Doctor Who itself. I mean, if you look at series one, it's not you know after we get past um, his introductory story, Boomtown he doesn't have it on. At all, I don't think at all in the episode, and and certainly not in part of the ways, um, you know. So when he's traveling with the doctor, he doesn't have the coat. It could be, you know, again, a psychological 
you know, thing having to do with the Doctor. Maybe, they, maybe he feels that the coat makes him into the Doctor or makes oh, him remember the first time that he met the Doctor or something like that. It would be interesting yeah. if we if we actually got something. We probably won't, but if we got some little confirmation of why he's so attached to it. But yeah. that is a that is a totally minor point. It's just oh no, I think it's, it's minor, but it's, it's it's one of those mm-hmm. it's it's one of those it's character fine. things, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's and it's one of those things that's in there for the fans too. It's it's oh yeah, Captain Jack's not Captain Jack unless he's got his coat because yeah, know, if, if you if you see a cosplayer, that's what they're going to be wearing. Absolutely, but you know what's interesting is you mentioned Indiana Jones, and the thing is, it became obviously it became a problem enough to George Lucas. That in the third movie he explained why, you know, he, he shows you the origin of the hat. He shows you the origin of the the, the whip. He shows you indeed, really, the origin of I think the jacket too. I, I could be wrong about that, but at, at any point, at any rate, you do get an explanation of why the most iconic parts of the wardrobe are the most iconic parts of the wardrobe. And it, it, I, you know, as a geek, it would just be cool at some point to understand why he's so attached to. Something that, at least when we first met the character, didn't feel that important. Mm. You know, it just felt like it was a disguise for one con job that he was doing among many other condoms. Right. Well, I mean, I, I always feel would love to have his jacket, either that or the Neo jacket from the Matrix. <laughs> Done the first one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it it could kind of tie into you know the original Captain Jack too, where he Maybe. got his name from. Uh, Did he wear? Uh, I thought he just the, wore the, the, the outfit the, during that time. The, the episode the where he meets the Captain Jack, the real one. Yeah. Hmm. But it's an iconic thing. Yeah, it's it's one of those it's yeah. one of those little character moments they put in there, and you're like, yes, you know, kind of like Gwen, that dramatic moment of Gwen blowing up the the ovens. Um, Trinity you know, from Matrix, almost. Yeah, I mean, she does that she does that wheel spin thing, and then she does this, you know, well, you know, if the if the world's gonna, you know, take it up, then <laughs> here's what I'm gonna do. You know, it's huge explosion behind her. It's just, you know, and and Jack going, that's my girl. You know, it's those like out of reality moments. Mm-hmm. The fact is that she just probably um, maimed everybody even more who was in that oven, um, and they're probably in more pain now than they were before. Uh, yeah, interesting. <laughs> Charlie, did you have a go yet? Yeah, I talked. Oh, that's good. We we talked so much. I was like, yeah, I want to make sure I got everybody. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm hoping this is the episode that kicks everything in now because I mean we got three more left to go and I mean you really have to start putting some more plot into the the stories coming up. So like I said, this one was exciting because I got more Captain Jack, which what what I was looking for. And one of the things I've said, you know, I got tired of seeing the second character and not seeing that much of him. But at least with this one, we get Captain Jack and we get a past story, so it's kind of nice. Well, the interesting thing about this is, is uh, as the time has gone on between each episode, uh, we're slowly but surely peeling back the layers. You know, originally this is like, oh, it's a miracle, everybody's a, you know, uh, everybody can live forever. Um, 
and then we found out the you know FICOR, uh issue, and you know, now we're dispensed with that. We've peeled away. You know that this is more than just you know uh, a drug company making a profit, uh, and now. And way back in the beginning, there was that hint that it had something to do with Jack. Um, and, of course, the morphic fields and everything. And so now we're getting to that point where it's all on for the for the, the remainder of the, the series, I think. What was um, interesting, oh, they, if, I, if you don't mind me bringing it up again, was it seemed to be the Jack and Gwen, situ- the car scene situation was very mm-hmm. much the tie-in. Again, with that missing episode or that episode with the missing persons that Gwen was so determined to find out um, what was going on that she knew Jack knew something and found out, you know, towards, you know, what the reasons why the the rift was sticking the um, people. Because we always heard about the rift, you know, bringing people or items through or aliens through, but you never heard of, you know, the rift actually taking and putting people through different times and different planets and solar systems and stuff like that. So yeah. it seems to also tie into that one episode back in um, Series 2. Yeah. And uh, Davey Boy says in the text chat that uh, um, the Gwen Jack scene hasn't been mentioned yet. I love when they both threaten each other with death, uh, but then reiterate that they love each other. It is a, a neat scene. And he's like, you tied my feet! She goes, yeah? Because I didn't tie your feet yet. <laughs> You you uh, knock me out with your feet or something like that, and, and and take over the car or whatever. And she goes, she knows all of his tricks, um, and she almost got fooled by him in the car. And it just shows the desperation of the two. She is willing to do everything to uh, save her family, and he is willing to do anything to basically um, stay alive uh, and to continue on. And it was really quite a nice little scene. And you it. It's kind of underplayed a bit because you're focusing on this, you know, uh, the bits with with Angelo, you know, um, this other bits, just the conversation piece on the way there. But it is quite nice. Um, and then Gwen asking, you know, tell me about your life because you're going to die. You know, uh, it's quite nice too. Alrighty, well. Um, does anybody wish to say anything else before we uh, close out the show? No? Good. Okay. Goodbye. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to thank everybody for their input today. Uh, most people have uh, darted off to do other things. Uh, but remaining in the room are Guest 17, Merlin and Davey Boy. Uh, and, of course, joining us on audio with Dar Skeptical, Charlie P79, and Robert Carey King 99 Oh, and David Boy adds, uh, also Rex and Esther showing up was cool. Uh, turning the kidnap on its head, yeah, that was a, a nice little you know, addition at the end. Oh, Guest 18 has just wandered into the room. Unfortunately, Guest 18, we're just about to wrap up the show. Uh, but as Dave stated uh, just before he left, next week we'll be talking about Doctor Who, The Return. Yes, uh, let's kill Hitler or slightly maim him and give him a really terrible hangnail. Uh, so uh, until then, uh, thank you all for, for joining us and talking about Torchwood. We will wrap this up at uh, some later date. Of course, like I said, Doctor Who is back, so we'll be talking about that for the next uh, the next few weeks. But uh, until then, we'll see you all next week. Goodbye! Uh-huh.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.